Whoever can be the confidence to a room Emotions skyrocket from the optics that you cry But you stand inside that it's own wounded Cinematic scenes flash through in a dream Another scheme by any means to lower my self-esteem Alright, what's up y'all? Um, welcome to another episode of the podcast Yeah, but nah um, So typically you hear Brandy's voice in the background But she's out of town this week So we have a special guest um, I'll let him introduce himself. Go ahead. Hey, how's it going, everybody? My name's Shola. Uh, stepping in today. Um, I am a first-generation American. I am from Nigeria. I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I'm here to talk about Black Panther. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and get started. But as y'all know, we get started with the situations and frustrations first. Um, so this week, my situation... So I talked about this last week, but um, getting your ends clipped is essential, right? So uh, I got my ends clipped last week, and this week I washed my hair, and my fro is shit popping because my ends are where they need to be. Um, so that's my situation this week. My fro is popping. My ends are healthy. I'm feeling good about my fro this week. It's been a good fro week despite the rain, in spite of the rain. What about you, Shola? My situation is being black. Uh, I feel like this past week has been one of the best weeks to be black. Not only be black, but be black and a nerd. Wow. Uh, To be black with information, to be one of the kids who read like nerdy things when you were younger and it's come a full circle and those nerdy things Mm -hmm. become cool. So uh, it's lit being black, y'all. It is. I mean, it's lit as fuck to be black. It's lit as fuck to be a nerd. I feel like more and more it's becoming more acceptable to be a black nerd and that's um, becoming part of the pop culture. I think some of the stigma that centers around that, you know, we could probably unpack that for a different episode, but um, unpacking like what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and like being quote unquote nerdy and into things that aren't traditionally black, you know, how, you know, why is that a part of um, our definition of ourselves? Um, and now what is happening now is a lot of that is, is kind of being torn away. You're free to be more of who you are and loving whatever it is that you love, regardless of if it's deemed traditionally quote unquote black enough. So that's dope. What about your frustration, bro? Frustrations. Uh, so I think one of my frustrations right now and a little bit about myself, uh, I have a little bit more of a liberal leaning views. Um, I, I love, you know, analyzing things and you'll find out more about that during this conversation. But it's been a rough week for Think Pieces. Uh, I feel like we're in a position now where, I mean, we can analyze everything. We have all these platforms. We have podcasts. We have blogs. We have different videos uh, that go out on the internet, just kind of dissecting media. But for the entire Black Panther weekend, I just absorbed black joy. And then Monday morning, uh, I got to hear how problematic it was. Uh, so frustration. I think that there's an abundance of think pieces, Uh, and I don't mean to sound super MAGA uh, or very (laughs) into like oppressing the opinions of liberal people, but as somebody on y'all's side, uh, man, sometimes it's just just exhausting. You know, that's actually like my number, mine was my number two frustration. People unpacking things when they haven't unpacked their own privilege. I think that that's problematic. When you unpack a movie like Black Panther and talk about all of the ways that the characters are problematic, but you haven't addressed your own privilege and the own things that you have to deal with, it shows up in your in think pieces and when you make your posts on Facebook. When you haven't dealt with your shit, that shit shows up. And was that there in the movie or are you projecting your own problems onto a character where that, that ish wasn't there? Like you're unpacking some shit out of a suitcase that wasn't even in that suitcase. Um, so I would agree <laughs> that some of these th- thing pieces can go in the trash. Okay, so we can go into the topics of the week. So this week we're talking about Black Panther. Ooh, what kind of um, forever? Hmm? What kind of forever? Of course. So we're just going to kind of go through a few different points, talk about the topic, um, and we would love to hear what y'all think. So, you know, on the next listener letter, if you would like to tell us, you know, your answers to these questions, what you think about Black Panther. Write us in at ybnpodcast at gmail.com. Um, I'll be happy to read your letter. Um, so, Shola, what did you love about the movie? Uh, it's kind of like what I was saying uh, in terms of my situation. I, I felt like it was possibly the blackest 
movie that I've seen. Uh, it's certainly in the past five years, but the blackest moment that I've had where all the beats from the movie from like the what are those comment that happened <laughs> at the beginning. Sorry, is that a spoiler? Probably not. Uh, from, from the what are those comment at the beginning to, you know, like the little moments where Michael mm-hmm. Michael B. Jordan would come into a scene and just completely shift the tone of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how in-depth we can go here. How do we feel about, how do we feel about spoilers? Is this going to be super spoilery or can I really go in? Go on here, go in. I'll put a spoiler thing in the beginning. <laughs> Alright, I'm not going to tell you what happens at the very end, but I'm going to tell you some things that happen in the movie. Uh, there were moments where I was looking up at African spaceships and cloth that I've seen represented from West Africa, East Africa, Southern Africa, all these different parts of the continent itself being represented within this one city. Uh, I think they did such a good job of bringing so many cultures together. Even as I was watching it, I heard uh, accents from my native Nigeria. I heard accents from uh, Kenya. I heard accents from South Africa. I heard whatever Forrest Whitaker was trying to do. Uh, So I heard a bunch of uh, I, I heard all those things being represented and I felt like it was one of those things where we see Angela Bassett we know Angela Bassett from other things and we know she's putting on an accent we see Forrest Whitaker we still trying to figure out what he was trying to do in the movie <laughs> but we see these people that we've seen in other roles we see my man from Get Out uh, we see um, T'Challa who's doing his belt his best Nelson Mandela impression uh, so like the entire film I was watching it and usually the accent is what can take me out of stuff uh, I remember when I watched Dear White People and I heard the African exchange student and I was like nah I'm out like I literally don't know what that series is about the one on Netflix because the second I heard that accent I just turned it off and went to something else because I wasn't about to sit through that entire thing so they nailed the accents they nailed like the different arcs one of my favorite things about the movie is even though it was called Black Panther the Black Panther wasn't the star of the movie the mm. star was the supporting cast the star the star was all of the the military woman the door Melange, the uh his 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 woman motivated so much of what he ended up doing towards the end of the movie uh killmonger who was from america and you know brought his perspective in there and brought his pain in there and forced people to see what he had been dealing with and didn't allow people to turn a blind eye to it Hmm. i just thought that that was beautiful i feel like that's the first time that i've seen you know seemingly african characters have to engage with the disconnect there Mm -hmm. uh and then one of my favorite takeaway lines is whenever killmonger goes to the spirit realm which is dope because they actually put the spirit realm in his apartment building in oakland instead of making him go to some African ancestral plane mm-hmm. I feel like that's like a really deep message in terms of you can find your your you can find your African spirituality you can fa- find your ancestral spirituality exactly where you are you, mm-hmm. can, you can find it in Dallas you can find it in Chicago you can find it where your great grandparents were you can find it in the fields of Mississippi you can find it in those places mm-hmm. where you you don't you're not as lost as you think you are but well. in that scene in that scene Michael B. Jordan says something along the lines of you know if they weren't looking for us maybe that was maybe they were lost or you know we're here we know exactly where we are in the united states when they stopped looking for us that's whenever they got lost and i felt like that was like a really powerful line that was probably the most powerful line from my raised by africans in american perspective in terms of we never really address the responsibility that people coming from other countries should feel to the blacks who've really pushed culture forward in the United States. So I love that. I feel like it had really strong messages. So, uh, and then also, I mean, the women just shined. This is the, the women were hands down the stars of this movie. Like, I feel like you have to get through three women who were the stars before you even get to one man who was. So Shuri, definitely the standout. Uh, the way that old girl towards the end stops the entire ba- stops the entire battle and makes those men get down on their knees and like mm. submit to what what they had going on and then she does it for loyalty she does it for her king she does it for her country that's dope the way that his the way that his woman and I'm I'm, I'm blanking on her name right now but the way that uh, Lupita Nyong'o's character influences him so much literally is the only thing that can make him freeze in the middle of a battle the only thing that can make him break his character he's trying to strong arm her into his will and she's like look i gotta do what's right for me i gotta do what my agenda is Mm. i gotta go out there into the world because this is what's right Mm. you know and there's not a moment there's not a cliche moment where the woman compromises herself in order to give into the man's dreams Mm. she just kind of 
she keeps going along her way and he has to catch up. He has to adjust mm. and towards the tail end whenever he decides that he wants to get with her, what inspires all these centers, like other than his cousin being disconnected from everything, what inspires all this is that his woman started off being like, look, I can't remain behind these walls and know what's going out there in the world. So I thought that that was really dope. I, I was watching it and I was expecting to get so much out of it as a young black man, but the whole time I'm watching the mo- movie, I'm just like, man, I wish I had a daughter to take to this, man. I wish they could see how bad these girls are. So I'm super excited for the next movie. I know what happens in the universe, but that's entirely too spoilery to get spoilery to get into. Uh, so definitely, that's what I loved about the movie. Everything. So you covered so much and like you almost took all of the good shit. Like, do y'all see why we invited him onto the podcast? You know what I'm saying? Like you just brought up so many good points. Um, what I loved were, the, I, I agree with everything that you just said. And I loved all of the things that you said that you loved about the movie. Of course, as a black woman, it was dope as fuck for me to see so many black women represented and they were all, none of them were stereotypes. All of them were their own person. They were all complex. They were none of them were one dimensional. Um, and also, as a light skinned chick, it was great for me to see my brown, dark skinned sisters get some love on the screen. Um, you know, oftentimes in Hollywood, we see where light skinned women get preference uh, when it comes to these roles. And it was so dope to see that that was not the case with Black Panther because it could have so easily that they could have so easily gone there and done that. So I'm so glad that they didn't do that. And it was so dope to see like so many natural hairstyles, you know, like we had, um, I'm terrible with names from, from any character from any movie, so I never can remember names. But the sister, when she she had the braids going on, but then the the general that was in charge, she had the ball, she had the ball fade going on. I'm like, man, I left the theater, like I think I want to shave my head. Like, like, where's Jay's clippers at? So I could go ahead and shave my hair off. Not really, because I love my fro. But um it showed the beauty. It showed that you can be black as fuck and beautiful and strong and loved all at the same time. You don't have to compromise any of that. Um, I think the general showed that uh, the most to me. I think I identified with her the most because, you know, she was loved by her country, by her people and by her man, but she was also strong, independent and unwilling to sacrifice her um, morals for the sake of her relationship. It was like she had a line, she had a boundary where, you know, like this, like if you cross this line, I'm not crossing it with you. So you're going to have to cross without me. Um, And how they portrayed that in the movie is like, that is okay. Um, It's okay to have boundaries. It's okay to say no. It's okay to have morals and and be unapologetically black, a woman, and stick to your morals. On, On that note, I also loved how the black men were portrayed in this movie. Um, nobody was a slave. Nobody was a thug coming up from, like, I mean, Killmonger, I mean, I guess you could say, but, like, nobody was portrayed as, like, the traditional uh, get rich or die trying kind of nigga. Like, he, like, these were, like, he had so many different, like, he had so many degrees. Like, he went to, um, what was it? The He was, like, special ops. Like, he had gotten yeah. all of these different, like, Gotten to all these different levels. What do you, you know? so he went to? He graduated from the military academy. I want to say he graduated from Annapolis, but he actually graduated when he was 19 years old with his bachelor's. And then by the time he was 21, he had his master's uh, from MIT. So uh, like a little bit of backstory. And I don't know if they went as in depth in the movie, but he is. He's a tech genius. Uh, he's one of the sharpest minds, which I feel like they focus more on his brawn. But uh, one of the big things that they emphasize in the comic books is just how strategic he is. So, I mean, they kind of touch on like when he came in there, he knew just how to get at the people. Mm-hmm. He came with a gift for the people that they really needed and use that, leverage that for an opportunity to get like into the good graces of people. So, really, he was really smart. So, yeah, like that's, that's what I loved is like seeing like this dude is strong. I mean, obviously he's physically attractive, but he's smart as fuck. And like somebody that traditionally you would call a nerd, you will call a lame because this nigga is getting straight A's in school. But like he out here showing you like, yes, you know, I have all, I can be all these different things. I can be problematic. I can be smart. I can be in pain. I can be hurt. I can be a victim and a victimizer at the same time. Um, And I think that, you know, it was really dope to see how, these issues affect black men and also it was really dope for me to see him cry 
that sounds like something so simple, um, but just like the, the toxic masculinity and kind of the way that we bring up our boys to not cry, not be no punk, it was really dope to see him get emotional and finally cry about the fact that he had been separated from his people and from his culture and from his father. Um, those are real deep things that he has the right to cry about. And so I think that even though it was a small scene, it was a short scene, I think that the impact of that is freeing other black boys and black men to cry when necessary because crying is healing. Um, and crying is a part of the function of our natural biology. So those are just a few of the things that I loved about the movie. And that like there was love in the movie, but like the love interest wasn't the focal point of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, it's not what moved the plot along. So... Uh, another thing that I really loved about the movie one it was black excellence and I've seen the movie three times now I'll probably see it a couple more times this weekend every time I watch the film I get something new from it so as I'm watching it and I'm taking a look at Killmonger and like the situation that he came from this guy is basically the LeBron James of murder like he was in the military and they said that he was taking people down like he was in Halo or he was in like another first person shooter like he literally was that good at killing you know um, and I think about that aggression and channeling that aggression into being into the military and everything else that like they try to get young boys to do um, so I look at you know situations with, like cities that they say are particularly aggressive and Oakland being one of those cities where they're like man people are dying left and right here all these boys are just like all they know how to do is murder 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 you know um and then looking at killmonger and like how he used he actually leveraged that aggression that he had in him and the aggression wasn't an issue for society as long as he was in like special ops and he was on all these mm. missions to stabilizing governments and doing all these things right so the aggression was never an issue like he actually was very decorated in the military mm. he was very educated he he did all these things as a means to an end as a means to get back to where he went so like you know within five minutes of him getting to wakanda he pulled up on a king he knew what he came there for he you know he did his thing you know mm -hmm. and then he uh you know he got to the position that he wanted to be in so it's like he trained his whole life and he had this aggression you know and so that started to make me think about the aggression that exists in young black men and you know where it comes from because when you really break down break it down you look at what killmonger's life was they took his dad he was on a court playing basketball and his dad was killed by his own people you know mm. and i don't know if he had the agency to register exactly what had happened i know that he had enough notes to figure it out eventually but that's a, that's the case in so many black homes where like we didn't see anything about his mom and we don't know what his mom's story was and the role that his mom played in the film or if she was even around, but we do know that her, that he went downstairs one day and came back up and he no longer had a father and mm -hmm. he had nobody around him and essentially the streets raised him. So I think that there have been a lot of critiques about, uh, you know, his aggression, how he's been towards women and, you know, toxic masculinity. But first off, he was the villain the villain of the movie. Uh, Loki wanted to destroy Earth. You know, uh, Dr. Octopus wanted to destroy New York. We, we're, we, there's so many villains in existence. Magneto wanted to wipe, wipe out humanity and leave nothing but mutants. But I feel like sometimes as, you know, sometimes as black, as black people, we want to hold each other accountable and we want to especially hold our men accountable in all things. Uh, but that's kind of why one of my frustrations was emphasizing so much to try to dissect Black Panther like it was. You know, uh, you know, love, love and basketball, or like another movie, which with a predominantly black cast with predominantly black themes, it's still in this realm where there are villains, where there are people, there are people who aren't redeeming, and I don't believe that Killmonger was one of those unredeemable villains. So I look at that, I, I, I felt like watching him. That is what could happen if you believe that you were destined for great things and you had that stolen from you. I believe that character and I connected to that character. Yeah, I mean, I, w I can say, I've said this several times, like Killmonger is a villain. I don't think I've ever been so empathetic to the plight of a villain as I have with Killmonger. And I think what you said is so true. You know, we have so many outlets and abilities to, to have think pieces and posts on social media about our thoughts and unpack things. You know, Killmonger, I think wasn't supposed to be like I think that people are trying to put him in a, a look at him and dissect him in a binary way 
Um, and all and, and none of these characters can be put in a box. They're all complex, which is what makes the movie so great. Killmonger is a villain, and Killmonger is also a victim of his circumstances. He had to deal with the life around him as it was given to him. He wasn't given a fair shot. He wasn't given anything. He had things taken away from him, taken away from him, and he was like, well, that's the way to get up in the world. I'm going to take my shit back. And I can really relate to that. And I think that it's important, like you said, to hold ourselves accountable, but also to recognize when the there's a bigger message happening here. I think toxic masculinity is definitely an underlying theme, but I don't think that the, it is the overarching thing. I think the bigger issue, the bigger theme is bridging the gap between blacks and Africans here in the states and kind of across the globe like bridging that gap that relationship because it's always an underlying thing i was talking to a friend last night who's from ghana and i told her you know on my campus there was always or in like other campuses i've heard that there's kind of an underlying beef between like the black student organization on campus and the african student organization on campus that might not be the case for our campuses um but i've i've heard and seen that and it's like, where does that come from? That's not a beef that we created. It's a beef that's there for a reason. Um, and then looking at the bigger picture of why is that beef there? Is it that we really truly have beef or is that systemic and created by someone else that has a bigger interest in us beefing? So if we were not beefing, what would we be doing? Would we, we be collaborating? Would we be joining forces? Would we be over, overthrowing problematic systems? If we were not beefing with each other, what would we be doing? So is it is it that we truly have beef or is it that this is instrumental and this is um, something that has been intentional from the jump? you know, to keep us divided about something. Because, I mean, even in the black community, the black American community, we are divided. I mean, think about colorism, think about class, think about, oh, yeah, black card revoked. If you haven't seen this movie or done this thing or had this experience, had your ass whooped this many times, you ain't black enough. All these things to separate us. When you take a step back and look at the bigger picture, what do you, who do you think is creating that narrative and creating that that friction for us to not get along um and for us to have this uh, this this what feels like generational beef and i mean we're kind of jumping all over my points for today which is cool but you know i i talk, one of the points that i have for tonight is to address generational responsibility and how do we bridge the gap you know, we, we have to recognize what happened in the past and the history that is taught. You know, as a black American, while I'm in school, in history, I'm barely learning black history. They talk about Martin Luther King and they kind of brush through Malcolm X and that's pretty much it. If they cover slavery, they cover slavery and then that's kind of was it. They cover Malcolm X in your school? We definitely didn't cover Malcolm X or the Black Panther in my school. It was entirely the Black Panthers. Sorry about that. I'm sorry. Oh, we didn't cover Black Panthers. <laughs> yeah. We didn't talk about Black Panthers. We talked about Malcolm X and how problematic yeah. he was. Yeah, no. And we talked about how great Martin Luther King was because, because he, he was, was passive. Of peace. Yeah. yeah, he was passive. Even though towards the tail end of Martin Luther King's life, he actually became more radical. And like one of his last famous quotes was, "He felt like with integration, he had walked his people into a burning building." Mm-hmm. That's a part that you're not going to really hear anybody talk. About about nope. uh but we can go all over the place i want to backtrack for a moment because there's a couple things i wanted to say when i was talking about my favorite parts <laughs> of the movie i'd be remiss if i did not talk about my brother <laughs> mbaku now mbaku <laughs> and the jabari people those were based on the accent the demeanor the humor the disposition completely based on my people in nigeria man when i watched it i was like whoa first off that's my tribe those are my people uh the anger the not the anger but like the sort of separation and understanding that their way was different uh but that's the course that they're charting 100% 100% felt like I was watching me on screen. Like, I saw him and I was like, yo, that's definitely my cousin. Even though, like, afterwards I looked him up and dudes from Trinidad. But, like, he nailed it. Knocked it out of the park. He's from Tobago. Apologize for all my Trinidadian people in Tobago. Um, but, yeah, so he knocked it out of the park. So, I feel like he completely killed it, crushed it. The energy was great. The fact that 
things came full circle and he was the first person to challenge the king but when things came down to it a large part of his recovery his ability to come back and over like eventually like you know overcome all his obstacles came from the connection that he had with the Jabari people so the humor was amazing it felt like it was straight out of a Nollywood which is like a Hollywood film from Nigeria uh, it felt like it was straight out of that so I love that also I know that we were talking about Black Heart Revoke. That's actually a very fire game. Um, I don't know if you've ever played it. It mm-hmm. doesn't, it's, it, you know, uh, it, it, essentially you're playing with your friends uh, and you have to agree with the consensus of the room. It's a really fire game. I recommend it. You can get it online for like $12 right now. As technology does, I had all of my notes and they just got deleted on my phone, but that's cool. We can go ahead and keep talking. Um, kind of back to like this generational responsibility. You know, like kind of thinking about, you know, of course, unpacking the past and what's happened and what's currently happening, you know, the way that they're taking slavery out of our history books and with the stuff. Yeah. The, the stuff that, that, that's happening. Yeah. Yo. That's, that's yeah. That's a thing. Um, Colonizers be wilding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why we talk? Why we got to talk about old shit? Why got to be old shit? <laughs> What? I don't yes. even. Yeah. Hold on. Who's taking slavery? Wait a minute. No. Hold on. They're trying to take slavery out of uh, out of the textbooks. So, from what I know, and my educators, y'all can chime in on this. Um, Texas was putting forth legislation <laughs> to take slavery out of history books and call slaves indentured servants. Oh, from what I learned Father. from the educators that I know and that I'm friends with, is that eventually that ended up not passing. Okay. They tried um, it. They tried it, but it didn't go through. Um, but then I, there's still some uncertainty on my part on what, like what is going to happen and what's manifesting because I, from what I know, that's not. This isn't the end of that. But yeah, because I, I I was I heard that there were definitely some history books released that categorized slaves as indentured servants or servants of some sort. Or um, if you're if you're Paula Dean, they were just workers who really devastated your family uh, after they left. Shout out to Paula Dean. No shout outs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So it, it's and I mean, just to I mean, I mean, when you think about, I mean, even the history that we learned as kids, you know, we start off learning about Africa as they were slaves. Yeah, that's, and that's the the beginning. They were the plug for the, for the whole slavery thing. Yeah. yeah, and it was like that's where it starts, and I'm like, that's not where African history starts, but that's where it starts in American history books, and so you grow up thinking. Not really having a full understanding of the context of what Africa is. I mean, I still have so many friends that call Africa a fucking country. Africa yeah. is a continent, not yeah. a country. Wow. Um, uh, wow. All right. So a couple things here. So I grew up in Texas. Um, both of my parents were born and raised in Nigeria. They got here the early, the late 70s, early 80s, the two of them. Um, they met over here um, and like my whole life I grew up in an African environment so an African church uh, I, we went to church three days a week so my my African church family like shout out to y'all y'all are 100% my family and I know some of you a little bit better than I know my biological family who's across the pond either in London or in Nigeria so I grew up very connected to that community and my moral compass was guided by African ideals to this day um, when when I interact with people who were born on the continent, I, being of Nigerian blood, am treated differently than somebody actually born in Nigeria. And I understand that we have different struggles, we have different like we have different issues, but we have a unified culture. I think that one of the biggest issues that I see like across generations is there is this emphasis on who went through more pain, you know? Hmm. But there's this universal pain that we went through, whether it's colonization, whether that's Jim Crow in the South, Hmm. uh, whether that's apartheid in South Africa, whether Hmm. there's so many different institutions where there were people of European descent who chose to deliberately create policies mm-hmm. to limit the access to black people. Um, it happened in the Caribbean. To be honest, I'm not as knowledgeable of Caribbean cultures. I would love to hear more from a Caribbean background on your perspective. Uh, if there are any woke Caribbean people listening right now, I would love to hear from you just on what your interpretation is, both of black Americans and of Africans. Mm-hmm. I'll speak on what I do know though. What I know is 
I've been in rooms with all Africans and I've been in rooms with all first generation American Africans. I've been in rooms with all African Americans and I've seen all three of those conversations and we're saying a lot of the same stuff, but it seems like there's this disconnect uh, in terms of everybody feeling like you're staunchly different. So one of the things that really excites me about Black Panther and the conversation that it started, and I hope this conversation will not stop, uh, but one of the conversations that it started is you know, getting past who's right and who's wrong. Hmm. And, and I leave that movie feeling like we're connected. You mm-hmm. know, I leave that movie. I mean, it's so symmetrical that they start in the projects, go to Africa and then come back to the projects and decide, hey, now that I've been now that I've seen everything and now that I've seen the story and now that I see everything that's happened, what can we be doing within this society to prove not to prove to these people, but to show them that we care, you know, and we recognize this connection. So, you know, in a utopian society, all of my African doctors, lawyers and engineers, uh, they pull up to the hood mm-hmm. and decide that instead of, you know, you know, just chasing money and trying to assimilate to the predominantly European culture, they decide that they want to be more implemented and more integral in the black community. That is the utopian society that I have set aside, you know. So I left with a feeling that that was possible. And I don't know that another movie has given me that feeling. Uh, and I know that some people are going to listen to this and say, hey, it was just a movie. Dog, you're giving it too much gas. Uh, some of y'all are going to want to talk about somebody's president. Um, I don't really, you know, I'm not in that mode right now. Uh, since 2000, since 2017, I've looked at the world and try to see how I can impact it. Mm. And, you know, what I'm doing from the job that I do to the conversations that I'm having with my friends in order to make a difference in the world. And I feel like we're in prime position to have a conversation that's going to lead us to better relations between everybody. Because I know that you might be an African American listening right now and think that, you know, Africans don't really mess with African Americans or you might have had a negative experience. You might be an African listening right now and remember times when you were in elementary school and you were teased for being African. You know, there's pain on bo- there's pain on both sides of things, mm-hmm. but we're all grown now and we're all in a position to think differently about what's going on. So, uh generationally, what we can do for our kids is you know, what we can do for ourselves and then also for future generations to come is, you know, create this pride. You know, the same way that people were dressed up to go see Black Panther, when you see somebody in clothes that like resemble the diaspora, celebrate them. When you see one of my Nigerian brothers and sisters who hasn't quite mastered the art of the shape up. Maybe we don't tease him. <laughs> maybe, we don't, maybe we don't tease his hairline. You know, uh, maybe we don't do those kind of things. Maybe we don't look at things like my brother who's walking around campus with the one toe sandals. Uh, you know, maybe we don't, maybe we don't look at these things that are culturally different and use those as an opportunity to tear down another person. Maybe we recognize it and we try to bring that person into the loop. Um, you know, if, if it's one thing that Black Panther, which I think they're close to 30, $300 million that they made so far, if it's one thing that we've, we've seen now is that there's a genuine interest in what's happening over there, you know? And I like to believe that of those $300 million that people have, you know, spent on the movie so far, more than half of those sales were black people, Hmm. you know, because I've been plugged into the nerd community. I'm like, as I'm sitting this, as I'm saying this, I'm looking at like half a dozen comic books directly on my bookshelf. So those are things that like, I've been immersed in this world. I was getting, I was reading Wizard Magazine in 1996, the one mm. with Magneto on the cover, just in case you need receipts. But I was reading <laughs> Wizard Magazine back in 1996, and we were going to Lone Star Comics right here in Texas uh, and looking for those black comics. Um, that's when we became familiar with Luke Cage. That's when we became familiar with Static Shock uh, mm. and a couple, a couple other comic books that at that time weren't the best selling, and you didn't get editions of those every month like you got of the other comics. You maybe got one or two of those a year, especially in Texas, you know? So comic books have always been a safe haven for black nerds, uh, and now we're kind of coming to the forefront, and I hope that we get more opportunities. We get more opportunities to just, like, connect. Because these conversations, people think that Ryan Coogler's super liberal because he made all his women soldiers. The women have been soldiers in Black Panther since, like, the 1970s. Hmm. You know, so the women have been the leaders and the strongest people within the kingdom since the 1970s. Shuri's been a bomb since, like, the 1980s. 
in the comic books, you know, and within the Marvel world, she's one of the smartest people, if not the smartest person. She's smarter than Tony Stark, who made the Iron Man suit. She's mm. smarter than um, Reed Richards, uh, who's like down with the Fantastic Four. She's smarter than Bruce Banner, who ultimately becomes the Hulk and creates that whole thing. So when she gets to interact with the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you're really going to get to know her as a character. And I think that you're going to be very impressed with what you see. But that's existed you know it seems like because of the times we're living in you're like oh man they created all these liberal characters but for those who aren't so informed on what happens in this world that's been going on none of this is brand new so black panther's dope i'm super excited for the next movie which i think is coming out in 2020 uh that gives me something you know to look forward to in this world you know and hopefully other things will happen in 2020 that'll make all of us excited uh but you know just stay tuned yeah, man, like, I, I'm i just sitting here listening to you, like, oh, word? Like, for real? That's, that's like, I'm learning shit as I'm listening to you talk. Um, I didn't know that, you know, of course, like, I see her as, like, the STEM, the engineer, um, but I didn't grow up reading comic books because as a girl, that's not something that's cool. I grew up reading Harry Potter, which is also not cool. <laughs> um, but my husband did. He grew up reading comic books, and so he probably can relate to you more on that than I can. But it is dope to kind of come into this like like I came I think I came up as a like I think you kind of came up as like a comic book nerd I came up as more of an anime nerd and so to come up and see like god damn like this was here all this time and I could have been engaged in this all this time and it was hidden from me but now it's the the curtains are drawn back and now I can fully engage in this comic book world that I was represented in whole time and I just had no idea um, because they didn't have the funding, the backing, the money behind it, the resources behind it for me to know that this was something that was a thing for me. Um, also kind of crossing that gender gap, it was like, girls traditionally don't really read comic books like that. Um, I know that there are probably a lot of women that are like, what are you talking about, girl? I read comic books, but it wasn't tr- accepted in the way that it's, I think it's accepted today. I am so excited for Black Panther um, and what it brings and the conversation it brings and talking about that generational gap and talking about, you know, what we can do now. Um, I think that as a black person raised in America and that was have answers that was brought over here from slavery, one thing that I'm excited about doing is educating myself. Um, so I know that there's been a lot of conversation about clothing, whether or not it's okay to dress up to go to see Black Panther or not. And I myself thought about wearing um, some tradition, some African-like garb to Black Panther, but I chose not to. I chose not to because, A, I'm not really educated on what cloth is appropriate because I just recently learned that some cloth is real, real sacred and you only wear it to special occasions and some shit is you can wear it like kind of on a day-to-day basis. That's something I didn't know. Um, that's not something I was educated on. Um, there's part of this where I can say that, you know, I was not educated about this, but then there's also the other part of where I'm an adult now and I can educate myself about it. And so there's an ignorance there, right? But then there's also the responsibility to learn and educate yourself because as as we as African-Americans don't really like give white folks a lot of, we don't give them a lot of leeway when it comes to like your appropriate, well, I won't use that term. I won't use appropriation, but like you're taking my shit and putting it on and you have no fucking idea what the shit means and what you, how you should be wearing it. That's actually appropriation. Well, here's how I feel about the word appropriation. I feel like there has to be um, a, a privilege of power and economic resource mm-hmm. in order to appropriate a thing. Mm-hmm. And so I can take it can and misrepresent that. it. Yeah. In a disgusting way, mm-hmm. in a very insensitive way, in a very ignorant way, but to appropriate a thing, I would need the power to like be able to take away like jobs, resources, and and have this kind of like systemic power to take that away from a from a people that I don't feel black people have. Okay. I think that there are a lot of people that would tend to disagree with me. Yeah. Um. And also, I, I recognize that there's a lot of pain there because there are a lot of, because I've seen kind of on Facebook where, like, you out here with this uh, Made in China, China Kente cloth print. <laughs> that's um, another thing we got to talk about. Yeah, that that's definitely a thing. And uh, uh, I can say up until t- recently, I, I did not know that there was a difference. Um uh-huh. 
I, I did not know that. And so knowing that now I'm like, oh shit, okay, well now I know the more you know. Um, but my ignorance isn't an excuse for throwing salt into a wound that's already there. So one thing I want to chime in and say is I think I've never heard the perspective that appropriation requires a degree of power, but I can completely see your perspective. What I've always said is that appropriation is just the use of somebody's culture without being able to cite your re- your resources hmm. or re- like cite your references and like exactly where you got the culture from. So hmm. if I see you posting uh, a dashiki or I see you in like, uh, you know, some of our like traditional garb. So like if I see you in Agbada or if I see you in, uh, you know, like, you know, different things that we do for like special occasions and you just have a caption underneath it that says, under all my African shit today. <laughs> uh, that to me I feel like it's just like alright so you don't get it you know if you yeah. posted the same picture with a different caption that's like yo paying tribute to my Yoruba brothers or paying tribute to my Ghanaian sisters and, and so on and so forth and like yo just letting you know that like I got the head tie on today feeling really regal you know shout outs to XYZ I'm like you cite your references you're good with me you know that's not everybody there is pain there and there are people who grew up in this country or came to this country at like in their teenage years who might feel like yo y'all don't really matter with us you don't really know anything about us but there is such a amongst africans i feel like there is this heavy dismissal that happens of african-american people just because of some of the images that are exported to africa like if you think of the music yeah like when you think about the music that's exported when you think about like even to this day if you go to nigeria like tupac is one of the biggest and the most exported artists in the entire world like tupac had a hip-hop impact of michael jackson um in some parts of the world because he was talking about something universal and he was talking about thug life but thug life and you know you know lyrics like hit him up and like watching music videos which is even more important now how artists become big internationally now is through youtube you know so all those views that we're getting i would say a majority of those are coming from different countries we're like wow have you seen the new two chains video so these images are exported to other countries so by the time they get here when they try to do an impression of what a black american's like the first thing they do is like yo 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 what up and you know it's so weird to me because i grew up here so when i hear a black person say the n-word it doesn't really shake me but when i hear an african who truly has no connections to black american culture say it that is alarming (laughs) it's really abrasive because they don't know how to say it like sometimes there's an er on it when they text it Mm. and it throws me all the way off so there's just like generally this i feel like there is this condescension that happens towards uh black american people um just kind of digging a little bit into like the lives of my family and their cousin like cousins and things like that i think that sometimes when i've witnessed family members date outside of their specific culture and with africans they get very specific like if you are a nigerian dating a uh, senegalese person it's like wow why would you date that person they're from a different culture mm. so nothing's united anywhere in the mm. confident continent of africa there's disconnect too but like they get so specific in that but i've watched my my nigerian brothers and sisters date people outside of the culture and the immediate reaction is like a negative one part of that is because they think that you're like you know gonna lose track of your culture you're gonna be super disconnected whenever you decide to have kids uh, the other part of that is there is an aspect of what America exports to these other countries that makes black Americans look less than American, mm-hmm. you know? So, so, so in just watching that, one of the things that we can address going forward in the future is that. Yeah. Like, what is that about and where does it come from? And I don't have answers for you in this conversation. Yeah. I, I, I just, I come to present information to you that, you know, it, it it's so weird because I know that in America, like, there are their own issues with interracial dating. Like, yo, if you're a black man, you can't really be down if you're dating a white woman. Or if you're a black man, you can't be down if you're dating somebody, like, outside of, like, your race, so on and so forth. But we all love Obama. We can unpack that later. And Drake and J. Cole and all these other people. Bob Marley, by the way. Uh, so all these biracial people we love, but we don't really love the way that they were created. We have an mm. issue with that interracial dating. Going to going across the sea to Africa, if you are a 
I am y'all don't know what I look like. All right, so I am a dark-skinned black man in 2018 in America. And if I were to date a dark-skinned black woman born in Detroit <laughs> as opposed to being born in Lagos, that is it comes with its own set of politics and its own set of issues that come along with that. Uh, so, you know, addressing that and the origin of that and where that comes from, that's probably the start of another conversation. And there's pain behind all these things. I don't come to you today having conversations saying that, hey, this is the answer, this is the solution, and this is what we fix. But what I think, where I think we can start is saying, one, we want to be on the same page. Like, I come here today, not necessarily as a representative for my people, but saying that the feeling I got leaving the theater time one, two, three, and then hopefully time four um, tomorrow is, y'all, this struggle, this connection, it, you know, the, the burden of it is on all of us. So mm-hmm. we're all a little bit connected. Well, and I mean, like, as you were talking, I'm thinking about, like, as African-Americans, you know, like as black folks, we have to also hold ourselves accountable for some of that pain that we cause. I mean, like how many of you were a part of those jokes in elementary school, in high school, not to just African folks, but anybody that was dark skinned, you know, like think about those jokes and the things that we participated in. And I say we, because I include myself, you know, I'm not going to sit here and act like I, I I didn't participate in those problematic jokes. The term African booty scratcher has been thrown around all across Facebook in light of unpacking the pain behind being here and not being accepted by the people that look like you because you have a different accent, because you wear different kind of clothes. Um, as Shola kind of explained, all those different things that make you just a little bit different, but the but the struggle is the same. Um, holding yourself accountable and saying like, damn, I did that shit. How can I do better? How can I learn, you know, what? Ca- how can I have conversations with people um, and unpack those differences and figure out how I can be a better ally, um, how I can be a better brother or sister to that person and to that population of people. It, it's, I mean, I know after seeing Black Panther, I was like, damn, like I really want to learn more. And it's, I don't want to, it's, it's kind of sad that it's taken to me to be the age that I am now to see Black Panther to be like, man, I really want to learn more. But I think that's the point of the movie. Because, I mean, if we don't have something like, I mean, media is such a strong influence on mm-hmm. how we interact as a culture. 100%. And so having that media outlet, like, you know, I'm, I'm an adult now, but think about all of the kids that are going to see this. Yeah. That are going to now learn earlier on. And so the next generation is maybe set up to be a little bit better than we are to be a little bit more understanding or be a little bit more in um knowledgeable about their african brothers and sisters and vice versa and i think those are for though i'm not a parent but for those that are parents thinking about how you can take what you learn from this movie and integrate it into your kid um, before they even hit the playground before they even hit kindergarten you know what are some things that we can do you know i was sharing with my friend i went to this summer camp and at the summer camp she was so passionate about teaching about African history and the language that she taught us Kiswahili. Like there were punishments for not asking us to go to the bathroom or for simple things like that in Swahili. I was a part of that camp. I was there for three years. I worked, I was in the camp for one year and I worked there for two years. Um, and there are things that are, there are some of the language that I don't remember, but there are things about the language that I remember and things that I still know by heart. Like we had to learn how to say the African national anthem and different poems and speeches and stuff in Kiswahili. And, um, I still remember some of that stuff today, even if I don't even fully understand the translation of what it means in English. And so I'm thinking about that and like, how can, you know, how can we do that on a bigger scale today after being inspired by what we saw in Black Panther and not learning it and treating it as a trend? Because I think that's a, that's a real fear that people have is like, is my culture of a trend? Mm. Um, I would pray that it is not. I know mm. it is not for me. Um, that it is a start of a movement similar to the natural hair movement. This isn't a trend. This isn't for fun. This is a movement and making a statement about how we're going to live our lives and interact with each other from here on out. And for me, it's so much more than just a movie and just a trend and just me starting to learn about shit for just like 2018 about my African shit. Like I want this to be a lifelong learning process. Um, with that said, um, 
intent versus impact, you know, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to fuck up. I'm going to mispronounce something. I'm going to wear the wrong cloth to the, to doing something. And I'm not expecting you to not feel a way about that. What I would ask is for just maybe just a teeny, like little grain of salt of grace in my learning process. And I also recognize that there are people out here that really don't give a fuck about learning any of this shit. And this shit is a trend to them. Yeah. Um, and that that pain is real and you don't get to just be like, oh yeah, like, all right, I'm just going to get over that shit today. That, that, that's not realistic. And that's not something that anybody should expect for anyone to do to be fair at this point in the podcast uh all of the people who are like ignorant and over it they they've already tuned out they probably checked out around the 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 five minute mark so we're good to go if we really just want to speak to people who want to be educated and want info true true yeah so so you know i i don't come to solve any problems but i'm willing to engage on that level should anybody want to have a conversation um what i what I wanted to get across more than anything, I have a a close friend and a colleague who have kids ages three and four years old, and they took their daughters to see this movie. Imagine being four years old and looking on the screen at a, a girl who looks like you being like doing science and making it look so cool like i wish i had a stem degree after i was looking at what she was doing Man. and what she was able to and it was effortless it's not like she was struggling in the lab she was like boom this is what i do research by the way brother i stepped the whole game up everything you had was primitive what uh, I <laughs> you know she did all this and so it's like she got to be like the james bondish character uh she had all this technology that like the world one she's got to step up on the world because they got access to resources that the world will never have by the way those those resources still in Africa you know so if we can get that together if we can get this unity thing together and we really want to do we really want to go back and use all this titanium these diamonds and like everything else that's still in the African soil we really want to look at the resources there it's a possibility uh, I feel like Wakanda is like my happy place that's why I've seen the movie so many times like I look at it and I see so much possibility but in terms of reaching back in terms of visiting the continent I hope this will inspire so many more people to be like hey look next trip instead of going to Rome instead of going to Paris instead mm. of going to all these places mm. yo let me check out let me find out a place in Africa even if you start in the most touristy place in Africa you're like boom I want to give my money to those economies as opposed mm-hmm. to giving them to other places mm-hmm. um, th- you know taking those resources and putting them back into people who have a similar background and have similar stories and story in terms of oppression i feel like that really opens the door for what it is that we're trying to do you know so there have been there have been radicals throughout history who've said like low let's just get out of here you know let's just get out of here and like do our own thing mm-hmm. you know there's so many comforts in america you know comedians have jokes all over the place like i would go back to Af- africa but you know they don't have playstations or i'll go back to africa but they don't really have wi-fi like like you know and they're all these things and all these critiques that you have uh, in terms of going back to this place, but you guys have to see it, you know? And, you know, there's a really dope episode of Atlanta where, like, this white guy's, like, flexing on Donald Glover saying, like, you ain't never been? You ain't never been? Like, wow, you really have to check it out. And so I don't mean to do that with y'all, but what I say is, you know, I see it. We're, we, we live in a culture now where people love flexing on vacation, taking pictures, so on and so forth. Let's make the new flex Africa. Let's make the new mm. flex being able to get there, you know, yeah. and celebrating that. You know, let's not think about the things that we were taught because we were taught the Mona Lisa was the perfect painting or this beautiful art. And we were taught that these are things that we need to see in our lives. We were taught that we need to see the Eiffel Tower, but we weren't taught to look at the natural resources that are available in Africa, like the wonders of the world that are currently still there that you can tap to whenever. We're exported images of it being a war-torn place. Uh, we exported images of, you know, African babies with flies on their faces, mm. but go there and actually see it, you know? Um, every place has their issues, but, you know, maybe those places will have less issues that have larger tourist economies. Mm. Maybe those places will have less issues if they recognize that they are as connected to us as we are to them. Hmm. So uh, I exist and my identity in the world has always been being this bridge between this conversation. And I would love to have this conversation with somebody born and raised in Africa. I would love to have this conversation with somebody born and raised in America. And of course, I like talking to people like myself. So, yeah. So the reason, like the whole kind of point behind this episode, um, I saw Black Panther once and then I saw it again. Mm-hmm. 
um, with Shola. And when we were sitting and watching the movie, there was so much that we saw that was like, yes, I completely agree. And like, I, I, I we have the same reaction or understanding of that thing. Um, but then there were points where, like, I think you got something that I missed out of the movie and we were able to kind of unpack that during the movie. And I think that's what inspired this episode. It was like, this conversation needs to be happened and I just happen to have a mic so we're going to record it and y'all go listen to it. <laughs> but I hope that more, that there are people that are listening are engaging in these conversations and not engaging in the conversation where, you know, you are, like Shola said, you know, trying to play oppression Olympics, but talking about what's happened and how we can move forward as a generation. So, yeah. I think this is a good place to transition into the next next you dig. Yeah. So, um, that's my shit. So, my shit for this week is Full Metal Alchemist. So, I love the anime and I love... So, there's Full Metal Alchemist. There's Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I love the Brotherhood more, but I love FMA because uh, that was kind of my gateway into the FMA world. There is a live action movie on Netflix that I have not watched yet. So I don't know if that's my shit or not yet. I'm nervous. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm a little nervous, but I'm not as nervous because at least this time, as they've done with other animes, the whole cast is fucking Asian. <laughs> what would you have a problem with with Light Johnson in Death Note? <laughs> look, look. Yo, my name's Light Anderson. <laughs> we got different struggles, bro. <laughs> Yo, I'm I mean, just in California getting my surf on, <laughs> and then next thing you know, I got this notebook. Uh, no, uh, that was absolute trash. It and was trash. That actually, that's actually one of my frustrations now. If we can, yeah, like with the whitewashing of, of live action anime. I'm just like these are it's anime because it's Japanese animation. And you have these white American actors in the goddamn movie. Like, who are you? So they made a Dragon Ball Z movie too. Y'all should not check that out. You should absolutely not check it out. It's the worst, (laughs) trashest thing. Right? That is there's so like if there's a level, there's like level two is Dragon Ball Z. Level one is Avatar the Last in the the last airbender. That shit is trash. I was actively Oh the movie. I thought you were talking about the anime. I said, look. No, 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 no. The movie. Because we can end this right here. No, the movie based on the anime. That shit was hot trash. I paid my hard-earned dollars to see that shit in oh, the show. Okay. I re- I left actively pissed. Um, so I guess that's that is also my frustration. But yeah. my situation is FMA. FMA. Uh, so Full Metal Alchemist is hands down my favorite anime. Uh, and I'll fight you if you want to say something else. Uh, <laughs> okay. I love Full Metal Alchemist, uh, the original series, and I also love Brotherhood. They're completely they're good for two different reasons. I feel like the homunculi in Full Metal Alchemist, the original, they all had stories and reasons for existing. And I feel like they were just villains in Brotherhood. And I thought that that was kind of, eh. Uh, but the story gets so much darker. Like the last 12 episodes of Brotherhood, if you make it there, my God. It's dark. <laughs> it's dark. It is Literally, dark. Literally, my God. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get that later. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, so, so, uh, th- th- that's one, uh, lituations, um, not lituations, but my shit right now, <sighs> I can't say being black again. Well, I could, but y- you guys get it. Um, I think that one of the big things that I've been on this week, I really love, you know, let's stick with the theme. We still got a few days left in black history month. So I'm gonna talk about black lightning. Some of you have seen it. Uh, Spoiler alert. Some of the episodes are not good. They're not. Um, but, but I believe it can get better. Uh, I feel like the best part of the TV show Black Lightning is actually when he's not in costume. Because I feel like they still haven't got his costume together. But like the actual storyline between him, his family, what's going on in his community. If you've ever seen the movie Lean On Me, it's like he's in his high school and there's like a bunch of trouble happening in this movie. In uh, the actual community itself. And like he is the invincible principal who comes in and tries to make the most of the situation. Turns things around. Graduation rates through the roof but there's also a gang I feel like it's the 100 which it just seems very aggressively based on Chicago I'm gonna be honest with you like I saw that but I guess it's marketable but uh Black Lightning Jill Scott's in it um the villain is not the strongest villain but black we have to support this I'm saying we have to support this not because it's the best thing on TV but because I believe if we like stick with it 
and we give it enough time to grow. Uh, it's from Mara Brock Akil, who I believe is behind like the TV show Girlfriends and like knows how to write for black people. So some of the social issues that come up, like on the first, on like the first and second episode, cops try to shoot an unarmed black man and black lightning shows up just in time to like get the cops out of the, out the paint, you know? So they find like little things, like they are, they have black parents having sex positive conversations with their black children. And that's something that we need to see a little bit more of, you know? Uh, so check it out. I feel like that's my shit right now. Like I look forward to seeing it every week, but I already led. I'll let y'all know who I was. I love Luke Cage. Well, the first seven episodes. I love Luke Cage. Um, I love Black Panther. Hell, like before I knew what a good black show was, I loved the movie Steel, Meteor Man. Mm. Um, I like Kazam. Uh, <laughs> that was also that was also my shit in 1995. Uh, so, so, so I've enjoyed things. I paid my dues to get to enjoy Black Panther. I say all that to say this. So, I mean, as you say <laughs> that, um, also my shit is Static Shock. You talked about them briefly earlier. Uh, I remember when Static Shock first came on before Lil Romeo came in and ruined the opening. Um, watching that in the morning okay. before I went to school. What you feel some kind of way? You you you're a little Romeo fan? No, you're, no, little Romeo? Romeo's fine. I'm Harlem shaking on the mic. <laughs> he fine? Okay. Fi- no, 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 no. Pause. Oh dang, that's problematic. That's problematic. As hell. I set you up. I set you up. <laughs> um, Masculinity's real fragile, y'all. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was the setup. Um. But no, I, I love. I remember loving Static Shock, and I was just like, "Is this a black superhero who have a black dad that like work a regular job mm-hmm. and like love him, and it's just like there, you know, being like a supportive, loving parent and stuff? Like, what? You know, like this is so dope. So like, just being able to watch that TV show, like I." People are, I've been seeing some like funny like protests for Static Shot to get his own movie. I'm here for it. If anyone from Marvel or Disney is listening, I'd love to see Static Shock. It was brought into the DC universe, uh, and DC does not have the best track record with movies. Oh, it's in DC? No. Yeah. Okay, so uh, actually, I'm, I'm forgetting. I think it's Cornerstone Comics, which is a black-owned comic book company. If I'm, I forgot the name wrong. Please don't kill me. I'm trying. Um, but so they bought the rights to Static Shock, and that's why Static Shock started appearing on the WB. Um, and Static Shock actually like crossed over into like uh, if you watch Young Justice, you'll see like a younger version of him. Oh, but he yeah. also was in like the Justice League and stuff like that. So um, he's within the DC universe. I don't trust them with films. I don't either. I don't trust them with films. The only film I feel like they got right was the first two thirds of Wonder Woman. That last third, we let it ride because the first two thirds was good but the last third like was like a different movie altogether and, and it was just... and it was weird for me to see Lupin from I mean that he's a character from Harry Potter be the villain <laughs> cause he was such like a good guy yeah. in Harry Potter I was just like Lupin what you doing bruh like the you ain't take your werewolf potion last night what you doing bruh what yeah. you doing bruh so I, I think what, like uh, my shit is essentially watching people of a culture tell their story hmm. like I'm, I'm hyped for Black Panther but whenever they come up with a movie with a Hispanic hero if they want to do if they want to like play it true to like uh, you know more of an Asian character like this was an opportunity that's why I really didn't mess with Iron Fist like that because I felt like his he was like he was like a whack billionaire like I feel like we already have Bruce Wayne we already have Tony Stark we don't really need Danny Rand to be like the head of a corporation but he's like this like indie bro who knows kung fu like I felt like I didn't really get it and I didn't really connect with that series but like when we get people if we get people of the culture to tell stories of kung fu if we get people of the culture to tell like those Bland Panther stories we get women women writers to tell women's stories because they're different textures and different dimensions to each one of these stories whenever we start letting people who are actually from that perspective tell the story hmm. yeah so I feel like when black people definitely when black people write about black people they do it better that's I that's not even up for debate so. yeah fact so mm-hmm. what's on your bookshelf uh bookshelf so kind of kind of sticking with the theme I'm gonna go with a black author uh, I like 
Michael Denzel Smith. He made a book called Invisible Man Got the Whole World Watching, which is actually a most deaf lyric. Um, and it's a reference to what Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man, but he's talking about the perspectives of being a 20 something now, <laughs> almost 30 something black male um, in America and like all the cultural influences you have. Um, in the book, he emphasizes things from like, like simple things like Dave Chappelle, also LeBron James, and like aspects of the black male identity today that can be problematic. Uh, so so one of the biggest takeaways I can do without like actually giving you a spoiler of a book that's not really like a it's not like you can't spoil that kind of book. All right, but uh, one of the perspectives he has in there is that like so many black men who are like down with the revolution and down with changing society do so after reading only male readers like they only read male mm. authors so when you read male authors and like you're like yo i'm down with malcolm yo i like alex haley um like all of my influences come from like black civil rights leaders we don't consider the perspective of women so like one of the biggest arcs and like the largest takeaway is you know when ralph ellison saying that he said that he was an invisible man he was talking about you know working amongst uh the white majority and like the way that he felt in society and the way that he felt like he was a part of a completely different world from the world that they lived in but he was never invisible to the black woman so i felt like that was a really powerful message if you haven't checked it out yet it's called invisible man got the whole world watching by michael denzel smith who i think is like 30 or 31 right now so i'm not gonna go with the black author but i'm gonna go with uh black education the gre prep book for those of you that are thinking about going to grad school want to go to grad school and they require the taking the GRE, um, what's on my bookshelf uh, right now is the GRE prep book. You don't have to per se buy the GRE prep book, but this is, I'm, I'm putting this on my bookshelf to inspire anybody who's on the fence about going back to school to go back. I've mentioned this in a podcast before, but I think it's worth mentioning again. Whatever degree that you want to go get, whether it be your bachelor's, whether it be going back and getting your G- GED, um, going and get your master's, going and getting that PhD, go back and go do it, go get it. I encourage you to, to go ahead and purchase whatever book that you need to prepare yourself to do so. Um, contact whoever you need to get those letters of recommendation. I would encourage you to, f- to find whatever resources that you need to go back to school because black education is important to me and it's, it should be important to you. So that's what's on my bookshelf. Um, this week, we don't have any uh, letters. So if you listen to this podcast and you want to, you know, tell us what's your thoughts about Black Panther, if you think there's some th- some points that we missed, some things, some personal takeaways that you got that you would love to share, go ahead and write in. In the little description box, as always, the books will be listed below along with our contact information where you can email us, hit us up on Facebook, or um, hit us up on Instagram. So... Uh, thank you for listening. Um, thank you for well. Thank you to our guests that came in and kind of killed it today. Uh, thank you for ch- coming in. And with that, bye, y'all. Take it easy. Look, I barricaded my soul away. The insecurities have me walking my path astray. My melody meddling with this medley. Heard the service is severing, but I'm heavily heavenly. This be the opus, verbiage inside the focus. When I'm smoking, the instrumentation, daily motion. Get the choking on that unbelief. Woe is me as they overdose on the speech, cause the artistry's at its peak. Uh.